The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 130. At the end of the episode, I will be playing chapters four and five from Beyond Brightside. I hope you guys are enjoying that book. But first, more importantly, we have a very special guest, Dr. Mark Gordon from Millennium Health Centers. It was his protocol that really transformed my life. Uh, it wasn't for his protocol. I probably wouldn't have been writing the TBI book. Um uh, before I started the protocol, I didn't think I needed it. Uh, so it was pretty amazing what it did for me, what it's done for so many others. So please welcome Dr. Mark Gordon. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate this. Hey, it's my pleasure. I mean, you're doing so well to get the word out there. I mean, I'm trying, I'm trying. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really hopeful um, it can do well because, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is just how widespread is um, this issue? Like how many people could have their life improved by having their hormones regulated? You know, even even something as simple as that, you know, um, because when I started this, I I really did not think I needed your program. I didn't think I had any brain issues. I felt like I was fine. Um, And that's coming from someone who, you know, I definitely had brain issues and, and every step along the way, even after being on your protocol, um, you know, two weeks in, I had such a huge, um, you know, I, I broke down in the backyard crying because all of a sudden I realized how much stuff I'd been dealing with that had been my normal, you know, I had been dealing with all this sure. anxiety, depression, everything else, but that was normal. So all along the way, you know, I was always surprised by this damage, uh, you know, so I don't think I'm that special of a case. I'm thinking, you know, probably a lot of people are walking around, uh, you know, that could have their life improved if they were to simply have their hormones regulated. Um, So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Right. Well, you you open up uh, Pandora's box, really, with uh, that intro. You know, there are 47 million people that are on antidepressants on psychotropic medication in the United States. And those are people who realize they have a problem, wanted to do something about it because they have an avenue to do it, whether or not they had health insurance through the government or through their place of employment. But think of all the people who do not have the uh, availability of the funding or the insurance in order to get it done. That's, you know, one side. Now, the issue relative to um, how, what percentage of the population has had uh, a scenario that leads up to the hormonal deficiency, I believe almost 100%. And how can I say that is because we have to start refocusing on what the real issue is. And what the real issue appears to be is this process of inflammation in the brain called neuroinflammation that can occur from, you know, playing baseball, basketball, football, hockey, rugby, swimming, skiing, water skiing, snow skiing, um, MMA, uh, boxing, uh, jujitsu, being in a car accident, a slip and fall, being in an assault, being on certain medication that increases the inflammation in the brain, having autoimmune diseases like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's disease and inflammatory bowel disease, 
or certain medication, whether or not it's uh, uh, finasteride or this antibiotic or this vaccination or whatever, they all lead to inflammatory processes. And these inflammatory processes in the brain shut off hormone production. Now, for 20 years, I've been spewing this. And just recently, a major article came out or a grouping of articles showing this, the actual molecular pattern, the way that the pathway that it occurs. You know, you have inflammation and the inflammation shuts off this chemical that shuts off the hypothalamus ability to make uh, the gonadotropic releasing hormone, the hormone that tells the pituitary to release luteinizing hormone, which goes to the gonads, either the ovaries or to the uh, testicles and says, make hormone. So the problem isn't necessarily coming from below the neck, the peripheral glands, but it's coming from the regulatory system in the brain. And, you know, one of the uh, issues that I constantly deal with is, okay, I never lost consciousness. I, I never had head trauma. I never had a TBI, but I did play sports. Well, how can you not have head trauma and play any kind of sport? Jogging, running, gymnastics. Uh, just everything, birth, mm. being born, uh, forceps delivery, vacuum extraction delivery, a C-section where there was the reason why they did the C-section is because your oxygen dropped. And therefore, that low oxygen created an inflammatory response in the brain. It was short-lived. Mm. So there are acute things and chronic things. The acute things, the body produces inflammation and then it resolves. In the chronic scenarios, like what I see in the military that I focus on, you know, all the uh, veterans in active military, they're getting repetitive micro traumas, is what we're calling it. And the micro traumas could be shooting a 50 caliber, uh, you know, shooting a 50 caliber machine gun. Mm -hmm. That easy. So when you talk about what percentage of the population, we have to now start looking at the things that we ignored. And that's the reason why we had so many people in 2012, we had 410,000 um, military coming back to the United States, rotating back. 380,000 of them were diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, which I'm not a great supporter of because we found 11 years ago, a chemical which is regulated by stress. So when you're under stress, uh, this chemical called fractalkin drops. And when the level of this fractalkin drops, what it allows are the cells that produce inflammatory chemistry called cytokines. It allows these cells to start dumping the cytokines. And it's the cytokines that lead to a change in the entire chemistry of the brain. We think it's only the fact that it, uh, it causes neurodysfunction. No, it causes a molecular chemical um, change. And if you don't have, it's like you pick up a, uh, you know, a good single malt scotch and you drink it, you know, a single malt because it has that very unique flavor. But then when you start throwing Coca-Cola lemonade in it, and so it changes the flavor. Well, what happens in the brain is you don't have the purity of a single malt scotch. You now have a blending of all these things in there and it disrupts the chemistry. It's like putting in, you know, uh, a, Cola drink into a battery instead of distilled water to regenerate the electron flow. You know, in the the 
standard um, lead acid batteries. So it's the change in the chemistry of the brain that leads to the loss of the chemistry we need to keep us without depression, to keep us without uh, anxiety, to keep us cognitively, uh, our ability cognitively to do mathematics on the fly, to, you know, to be critical in our thinking, you know, aside from what the world around us wants us to stop being critical in how we think, you know. Excellent. So. Um, now, this is something I, I talk to people all the time about. I, I tell them they need to get their hormones looked at. Now, by going to your typical doctor, are they going to be looking at the hormones correctly, though? Like, are you looking at them differently? Well, there's a comprehensive look and a non-comprehensive look. So we'd like to look at it comprehensively because there are three levels of each one of the deficiencies that we're looking for, as well as causation for the hormones being off. So when we do a comprehensive 28-point test, there are 28 markers that we use in our Millennium Biomarker Panel. And those biomarkers we put into a software project, uh, program that just launched it. it took five years to write it which analyzes the laboratory results relative to medication you might be on um, medical conditions that you might have had surgical conditions and it gives you a, a diagnostic um, uh, statistically what's more common that these labs represent so if you've had a trauma and the inflammation in the brain is shutting off your ability to make luteinizing hormone, how do you know? You have low testosterone, low estrogen, low progesterone, low pregnenolone, and you have a deficiency of the hormone, luteinizing hormone, that should be telling your body to make it. So when you have both low peripheral hormones and low central luteinizing hormone, it gives you the supposition that there is trauma to the hypothalamus or to the pituitary. And then when we start looking at the other hormones produced by the pituitary, if there's an isolation of luteinizing hormone, then it's more than likely coming from the hypothalamus. Also, if you've had trauma to the brain, whether or not it's inflammatory trauma or a physical trauma like an assault, you might have an elevation of one of the hormones called prolactin. Well, in order for prolactin to be elevated, um, there are a couple of causes for that. Pregnancy is one, and the guys that I see, they're not pregnant, and therefore the prolactin won't be accountable through pregnancy. If they are on certain medication that cause prolactin to go up, uh, if they have a tumor of the pituitary called the pituitary adenoma, it'll cause it to go up and dysregulation of the hypothalamus will cause prolactin to go up. And if prolactin is up, it shuts off luteinizing hormone. So one of the causes for having low testosterone isn't just the fact that the testicles or the gonads are not working or the pituitary is not working. The regulation of the pituitary is damaged. So the hypothalamus regulates the pituitary. So it's looking at the three different le levels that allow us to, to perceive that. There are some expensive tests <clears throat> that we try not to do, but are academically required, uh, which are the cytokines, which are the markers of inflammation. They're the immune system 
uh, inflammatory chemistry. And when the cytokines are elevated, and some of the names of them are interleukin-1, interleukin-6, and tumor necrosis factor alpha, when they're elevated, what happens is they shut off luteinizing hormone, they shut off a growth hormone, they shut off a whole bunch of hormones in the brain. So if you spend, it's like 600 bucks for a pre and post. So it's very expensive when you do three of them, it's about $1,800. Um, so we don't do it as a uh, standard. Uh, I did a project with our uh, veterans uh, population for three months. And it showed that when the, the cytokines are elevated, their symptoms are really significant. And when they're on our treatment protocol and their levels of cytokines drop, what happens is they improve. So it's a cause and effect kind of relationship. And we know this as a fact <clears throat> because in the traditional medical world, what they see in autoimmune diseases like lupus erythematosus or Crohn's disease or um, psoriatic arthritis, or uh, I said rheumatoid arthritis, is that <clears throat> concurrent to the inflammatory process, the arthritis or the gut problem, depression is very high, upwards of 77% or 86% in these people with these autoimmune diseases, conditions. When you fix the autoimmune uh, condition, which is treating the inflammatory marker, either interleukin-6 or tumor necrosis factor alpha, when you drop those what happens to depression along with their arthritic complaints is it disappears. So it already shows us that the relationship between inflammatory production of these cytokines, interleukins, is associated with the underlying medical condition as well as with depression. When you treat it, they subside. They're mitigated by treatment. So it's a cause and effect that is clearly uh, delineated by treatment as well as seeing the monitoring the blood work. So we, for cost containment, don't go and do the uh, interleukin panels, but we see the effect of the elevation in these um, cytokines, interleukin cytokines. We see a reduction in hormones. And when we treat them with anti-inflammation, with anti-inflammatory products, what happens is we see elevation in their hormones. So we started a project um, last year this January, where we're doing the comprehensive laboratory testing, we're seeing the hormone deficiencies, and we're seeing the suggestion of inflammation, and we're hearing migraines, it's inflammation, insomnia, it's inflammation, increased pain, it's inflammation, irritability, explosive personality, these are all inflammatory subjective symptoms, okay? And so when we see that, what we did on this group, we now have six people in the, in the program, is that we don't put them on any testosterone or estrogen, progesterone or Clomid or anything to boost their level of hormones. We just put them on the anti-inflammatory project that we have. And what happens is their testosterone doubled in 90 days. Wow. So we're recruiting more people in. And if they uh, don't respond, then we start supplementing with uh, the missing hormone, okay? okay? Or the missing hormones. So it's... Um, uh, our newest product that I'll send to you, which is called uh, Brain Rescue 3. Um, I don't know if you've used the Brain Rescue 1 that came out uh, two months ago, but uh, we did a study with uh, the Marines in 2020 and another one 2021. I, the um, uh, draft of the report is at 
the website, the tbihelpnow.org, under the um, Nutraceutical Marine Project. And what happened was they had a 65% improvement on 20 points, 65% uh, average improvement on 20 points in this population of um, uh, Marines uh, treated with a nutraceutical product for 90 days. They were measured every 30 days. It's a subjective. And it's been the foundation for one of the trend changes that we're going to be doing, where instead of initially doing the comprehensive laboratory work, we're going to be putting them on a 90-day nutraceutical protocol, which addresses the inflammation intensely. And if they do well, which is 65% or better, they don't need, the operative word is need, to go and get the comprehensive labs. If they want to get it, they can get it. I'm not going to say anything, no to anybody. But what we're trying to do is um, screen out the people who need the laboratory testing from the people who don't need laboratory testing because that's cost-effective, cost savings, and it doesn't overload us with you know uh, the population of people that we see. Not that we don't want to help, it's just that I think there's a more cost-effective way uh, that we can reach more people, and that's really the key, is to be more cost-effective so more people can get access to our technology that we've been working on for 27 years, and specifically in traumatic brain since 2004, so it's been 17 years. Now, with, with success rates with this group and with all your patients, how much does, does diet play a role in it uh, you great, know, that are causing inflammation? Great question. Well, if you're going to talk about diet, you got to talk about the gut. And what we're seeing is a lot of people with something called dysbiosis, which is where their bacterial balance in their gut is off, which leads to things like... Um, a leaky gut syndrome uh, leads to uh, inflammation of the gut. Also, if there's hyperacidity, it'll lead to, you know, breakdown of the mucosa of the gut. And what happens is that's all inflammatory. Those are all inflammatory processes. And what we found is if you have any inflammatory process below the neck, it generates the cytokines that are generated in the brain too. So what happens is these cytokines inflammatory chemicals that are produced below the neck pass right into the brain and they turn on the inflammation processes in the immune system in the brain. So it becomes additive. So if you have chronic inflammation of the gut, dysbiosis from, you know, life, stress can do that. Alcohol can do it. Certain medication can do it. Uh, as I said at the beginning, a disbalance or imbalance in the bacteria in the gut after certain medications, antibiotics are the most common ones that kill the positive bacteria in the gut. So it generates all the chemistry to go to the brain. Now, foods. If you're hypersensitive to glutens or GMO-related issues or, you know, you have allergies, what will happen is those food allergies will generate the inflammatory cytokines below the neck. People who have hay fever, people who have um, environmental allergies, they're generating a lot of uh, inflammatory cytokines that go into the brain that can cause them to have that fogginess. You know, they're walking around during their al allergy season, whether or not it's springtime or, you know, or wintertime or summer allergies or whatever. 
and they're walking around where they're sneezing a lot and they get this really fogginess to their brain. That's the inflammatory cytokines, more specifically intraleukin-6, that's causing them to feel foggy. It's like I asked the patients uh, when we're talking about um, one of the products that drops the inflammation. And I say, so you get a cold, you feel smarter or less smart. Everybody says, no, I feel less smart. Well, that fogginess, that lack of clarity, that irritability that occurs when you have a, a cold or an infection uh, is all due to these inflammatory cytokines, most specifically interleukin-6. And DHEA is what drops it, okay? And we're finding DHEA phenomenal. I was just sent out to um, our journal club. Uh, you're on our journal club? Uh, no, I don't think no, so. No, got to get you on our journal club. It's uh, Sunday. I send out an article at 1 a.m. in the morning, right before I call it quits after being up at five. And during the week, I go through maybe 20, 30 articles now. And I find an article that's really, really neat and send it out to our 600 doctors and patients who are, you know, medics from the military or corpsmen from the Navy, uh, from the Army and Navy or people like yourself who are very knowledgeable and are thirsty for more information. And also a personal experience like you've had, you've gotten better, I wanna learn more. So there was an article that came out that just blew me away. It talked about our immune system and the fact that when you have certain viral infections, they cause white blood cells to accumulate in the lungs and they become sticky called adhesion and they adhere to the lining of the lungs, the mucosa of the lungs, and they start dumping the inflammatory chemistry, just like I was talking about in the brain, the interleukin-1, 1B, 6, and tumor necrosis factor alpha for just a few of them, starts dumping it in the lungs and it causes damage to the lungs. Why we've been seeing in this recent uh, condition of uh, of in viral infection, why we see so many people losing their lungs is because of this process. Well, it turns out that DHEA actually stimulates a chemical that they call DEL1, D-E-L1, that stops the white blood cells from sticking in the lungs. So if you can diminish the amount of inflammation, your brain clears. If you can diminish it in the lungs, the lungs have a better chance of surviving, okay? And you know, DHEA is so inexpensive you know, mm. so yeah, I've been that might be part of the problem. <laughs> uh, a little off topic, but this is uh, new to me. Um, I got back on your clear mind and energy because I've mm -hmm. had a huge problem with caffeine. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's not good for me. I, I get into these bad habits and then I'm having way too much. And so just two days ago, I started with that. I had no side effects at all. No, no headache, no irritability, nothing like that. Um, so I just want to say thank you for that because your, your daughter talked a little bit about why caffeine wouldn't be good for me. Could you go into that a little bit? Why, you know, what some of the risks are of having caffeine? Is that causing probably more inflammation? Um, in some, well, in some people, um, some people are more um, prone to side effects from caffeine. I mean, I can drink a double espresso an hour before I go to bed and go to bed because I've got the enzyme that helps, uh, you know, destroy it. So anything that causes stimulation of the system, whether or not it's, it's methamphetamine, dexamphetamine, 
uh, Ritalin or Ritalin if you're a Star Trek fan, uh, or Silert or any of those medications that cause uh, increased metabolism of the cells, you know, nothing is free in life. There's always a price to pay. So when you take caffeine, it increases the metabolism of the, of the brain and you have to feed it. If you don't feed it correctly, like most people do not, you get the end result. And that end result is you starve out the mitochondria. It leads to leakage of the mitochondria, cytochrome C, and the cell dies. Okay. So over a period of time, uh, you get that caffeine rush, you go up the hill, and then you crash down the other side of the hill because you're not keeping the nutrition of the brain going. Okay. So anything that upregulates the metabolism of neurons or the cells that support the neurons called glia you run the risk of creating damage at the end. So you, it's free at the beginning until you pay the price at the end. So as I said, there's always a price to pay. So the product ClearMind and Energy, which is has no caffeine added to it, how it works is by upregulating the mechanism across the board for higher mitochondria functioning, uh, better absorption of uh, the precursor chemistry for making ATP, phosphorylation, um, stabilization of inflammation. It actually stabilizes it. So we know nothing's for free. I mean, I'm not going to tell you CME doesn't have a price to pay, but that price to pay is in the product to stop you from uh, falling off the side of the cliff. Mm -hmm. So we've incorporated it. Yeah, that's the cost. Okay, that's the payment that having added in some of the uh, maca and some of the other products, 100% natural products, biologicals in it. And that was the first product that we developed in, um, and released in 2017 to uh, the Navy SEALs in Virginia. That's where we went and we launched it and they loved it. And uh, it's been um, you know, added to in combination with the other products and incredible amount of clarity. Okay. Yeah. Lasting 10 to 12 hours, eight to 12 hours. Yeah. Cause I, I took it five o'clock this morning. I've been feeling awesome all day. I had to tell my friend and like the other times when I've quit caffeine or try to reduce it, it was always a struggle, but yeah. now I feel amazing. I feel sharp. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things is um, when we came out with uh, clear mind and energy back in 2000 and let's see, we started working on it 2012, my daughter, Allison and I, and we released it um, 2017 just to the military and then 2018 to everybody. And um, the problem I had with it, I love my coffee. I just love my coffee. It's not the caffeine effect. It's just, I love the coffee. You know, yeah. I blend coffees here at home and the kids say, I like this variety of that, whatever. And two weeks into using the CME every morning, I started noticing my coffee consumption dropped, dropped and disappeared. And usually at four o'clock, I have an espresso maker at the office. I make a double espresso at about four o'clock. And I wasn't racing to the machine anymore to make my coffee. In the morning, when I get up, I have a double espresso. I was waking up and having my clear mind and energy and leaving, going to the office. And then usually at about 8.30 in the morning, I'd have a little bit of a, my breakfast before I got into three hours of straight consults and find, found that I wasn't having coffee. I was having, you know, herbal tea with no caffeine in it. Mm. 
So I found that, and I also wasn't going through any kind of withdrawal. And I hear that from a lot of people that get onto the brain care. Yeah, and as I said, uh, we have um, we have 53 associate affiliate clinics, and one of our docs in um, Chicago uh, gave the CME to one of their her patients who was on uh, methamphetamine, dexamphetamine, for 20 milligrams a day for five years. In two weeks, they were off of it without any without any side effects. Okay. Right. So that was kind of impressive. And as we've uh, uh, started one of our newest products, first was the Clear Mind and Energy. The second product was uh, Brain Care 2. We launched it with uh, Medics at uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And they got a 50 to 70% improvement in their overall problems they were having from blast trauma and so forth. And then in February 2020, we launched the third product, which is called Bias for Brain, which increases the energy production. I mean, I can I sat here from 10 o'clock Saturday morning, 10 o'clock in the morning until 1.30 in the morning, working on uh, a new lecture, an eight-hour lecture that I have. And when 1.30 came around, I said, oh, I guess I should go to bed. So I went to bed. I woke up at about 6 o'clock, started my day again. I wasn't tired. So, you know, people don't understand how important the brain is in making sure you sleep well and get a deep amount of sleep. And that inflammation will cause you to have problems with sleep. There are on Google Scholar, there are 47 or 49,000 articles talking about inflammation and insomnia. Some 39,000 articles talking about migraines and neuroinflammation, inflammation of the brain. Over 2,200,000 articles on the heart and inflammation, 2.1 or 2.2 million with the pancreas, with um, uh, diabetes and inflammation. So we're starting to see inflammation. I mean, I'm giving a lecture to the International Society of uh, Neuro Research, Neurofeedback and Research in December. And, um, you know, their technology works but it works better when you address the inflammation before you use their technology. So um, did a presentation on uh, neurohormones, the hormones produced in the brain, neurosteroids, and how they regulate everything. Heart rate. We have patients who had irregular heartbeat or hypertension, and it's all the sympathetic nervous system. When it's inflamed, it works not the way you want it to. So elevated blood pressure. So we've had people get off their blood pressure medication by correcting the inflammation. And that's overlooked. That's basically what I'm telling them or giving them their presentation. It's just on neuroinflammation, how important it is. So how, how does the medical community respond to your message? Are they, are they starting to listen to you more? Well, they're starting to read their own literature that I've been reading for the past 20 years. And they're going back and seeing that for since 1982 with Dr. Uh, Baylou out of Paris, out of uh, Paris, France, <clears throat> started looking at this thing called neurosteroids, the hormones in the brain. And now they're looking at the neuroinflammatory uh, theory of depression, which has been out there for 20 plus years. And that's what I started reading. They're just going back and catching up. So I'm a little bit ahead of the curve uh, because 
that's what I was looking at, what the relationship was. And it was by accident in 2004, where not only my patient population from 1995 to 2004, I was seeing people with uh, um, psychiatric conditions getting better. And the fact that they got better, and then I read the article about pugilists in Turkey, boxers, having their bell rung from boxing, and they were losing hormones. So I went back to my population from 95 to 2004 and said, okay, who's had head trauma? And I had to define what head trauma was, you know, simple things. And in my first book, or yeah, first book, Interventional Endocrinology, chapter five talks about one patient who changed my world when it turned to TBI. He was a guy that came to me because he had all these problems with uh, mood disorders, depression, anxiety, poor judgment, and a cognitive impairment. And um, we put him on treatment and he got better. Because the only thing we looked at was, oh, where are your hormones? The relationship between the fact that when I went back to him, it turned out he was in a motorcycle accident, was unconscious for three days. That was the setup. Mm-hmm. And he, he recovered beautifully after that condition, after that situation. And no one put the two and two together. But this boxing was a trauma. He had a trauma, wasn't boxing, but the, sil- the same thing, the cause and effect. And then um, there was a lawyer that flew in from um, Midwest who was in an automobile accident. He was unconscious for two weeks. And when he got up, uh, when he was rehabbed and back to doing his law stuff, he wakes up in the one morning and starts having consecutive days of morning panic attack. So he wakes up in the morning as panic attack. We checked his hormone parameter out and there was one key hormone that was off that we gave to him. And within a week or two, his anxiety disappeared. Now, the product we use is $105 a year. The product that's available to treat the same thing is $34,000 a year. Okay? Mm-hmm. I don't have to talk about names of either of these, but the one that's 105 is metabolized by the body to the one that's 34000 mm-hmm. So it's been one of our game changers from day one in our uh, military population, day one being 2015. Now, do you think in five years and 10 years, 15 years, do you think people will be able to go to their regular doctor and say, I want my blood work checked and like have be able to have them deal with this inflammation? Or do you? No. uh, Yeah, I I think you need to look at uh, the bigger picture. And that's how our um, healthcare system in the United States is on the verge of changing drastically. And if we parallel what's happening in Canada or in the UK, uh, we're going to see a more restrictive um, availability of testing. So instead of getting the testing that you need, they're going to give you the testing that they want to give you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see patients who come in from some ivory tower educational institutes with laboratory testing that looks at the heart but misses everything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, in order to diagnose a condition, you have to do the testing. That's called uh, preemptive. That's called uh, proactive. That's called interventional. But the way things are, it's not happening. And I'm hoping that the functional medicine uh, 
world, you know, has been doing a good job. They need to step up their game a little bit to start incorporating some of these um, preliminary testing so you can define problems. You know, uh, they do very well. I mean, I'm very, a lot of what I do is functional medicine. Turned out it's called functional medicine. I was just practicing, you know, good medicine without putting a name on it. You know, comprehensive uh, medicine as opposed to interventional endocrinology is what it was, what it is. So um, I would like to think that the efforts that I and our expanding group of physicians uh, will be able to convey what it is they're doing to a larger population. That's why every six months I'm at a venue uh, specifically lecturing to physicians. My next one is uh, November 4th in Dallas, Texas with the AMMG, Age Management Medical Group that I work with quite a bit. So twice a year, I just came back from A4M, uh, which is the uh, American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, uh, did a lecture for them on growth hormone and how to stimulate your own growth hormone production naturally, uh, because growth hormone is for me, the pinnacle of all hormones. It helps regulate all the other hormones. Uh, helps with inflammation of the brain, helps with uh, Alzheimer's, helps with um, uh, cognition, depression, helps to alleviate a lot of these things. So every one of our hormones has an incredible uh, benefit on the system. Unfortunately, everybody just looks at our hormones as being gender hormones or sex hormones or reproductive hormones. I look at them as being chemicals that are pleiotropic. And what pleiotropic means is they have multiple benefits to the body. We're just stuck on looking at testosterone as libido, mm. you know, getting your, or else, you know, powerlifting or something like that. Well, it turns out that um, testosterone is incredible at dropping the inflammation in our brain because it increases a, I talked about inflammatory cytokines. Well, it increases an anti inflammatory cytokine called interleukin 10. And it also increases CD4 and CD8 cells, which are the cells that help defend our body from viral infections, bacterial infections. So if you're testosterone deficient, your immune system is lower. If you're low in DHEA, which is the precursor to testosterone, your immune system is diminished. So, you know, we have to start relooking at our hormones as being much more than just, as I said, gender-related hormones. Um, estradiol, and after women have uh, stroke or trauma to the brain with cognitive impairment, we see that estradiol helps with neuroplasticity with their cognitive re regeneration. And we've seen it in studies with progesterone, with allopregnenolone, with uh, pregnenolone, all these hormones generated in the brain, not just the ones below the neck, but in the brain, the neurosteroids, how they help to uh, maintain optimal functioning, a functional environment in the brain that we call a neuropermissive environment. Okay. So I'm hoping that uh, more and more doctors come into the program. It's very inexpensive to get to the program, into the program and um, to become one of our centers. That's how we have 53 uh, centers. And we have uh, seven countries that are involved in our program as well. So just need more people to buy in it. The science is there. I mean, I didn't develop anything. I read the science that already existed that was on the bench 
and I brought it into clinical application, which is called translational medicine, where you know I read X amount of articles on the same topic, and they kept on repeating themselves, different authors, different locations, same outcomes. Mm-hmm. And that gave me the confidence to take what they were talking about that became clear mind and energy or became B is for brain or became brain care too, which is the key anti-inflammatory. One of the um, situations that happened that just blew me away is uh, in December of last year, a civilian doc contacted me, Eric. And he said, do I have anything to help him with the ringing in the ears called tinnitus or tinnitus, potato, potato. And I said, try this. I said, he was already taking the tri-pack or the three products pre-breakfast. I said, add another teaspoon of brain care two at, at, at before dinner. So he added another teaspoon. And I said, give me a call in four weeks. In two weeks, he sends me an email. He says his daytime tinnitus or tinnitus, totally gone. And at night, he was having occasions of it. He didn't need any white noise machine. He didn't need anything to distract him. He didn't have it. As of today, based upon his monthly program questionnaire, which are the questionnaires that people fill out every month to keep me advised of how well they're doing, he's 95% improved on his ears. So in that was December of last year that he opened this up for me. So in January, I went back to my uh, partner, Andrew, you know, the Green Beret, who did the Quiet Explosion uh, movie. And I said, told him Eric's story. And I said, so how's your tinnitus? He says, oh, disappeared about a year ago. I said, your tinnitus disappeared about a year ago. This guy, EOD, explosive ordinance and demolition, he was blowing stuff up left and right. I said, it disappeared a year ago? How come you didn't tell me? He looked at me seriously and said, you didn't ask. So now what I'm doing is I'm asking everybody. So as of, um, as of Thursday last week, we had 54 people in our tinnitus monitoring, and they've had overall a 49% reduction. Wow. Okay. And what I'm reading are these articles on tinnitus because I really didn't remember very much about tinnitus, but I had to go back and read about it, American Family Physician Magazine, and then neurology and so forth. And basically, if you have an insult, whether or not it's a head trauma or losing your hearing or loud noise trauma or whatever, medication can do it too. Um, if it la- if you have tinnitus for greater than a year, it's more than likely permanent. So all these 54 guys have had it for greater than three, four years, wow. and it's disappearing. So every week we add more people into the study because I'm trying to get about 100 people into the study before I write anything up uh, about the influence of neuroinflammation. If you go and look up neuroinflammation or inflammation plus tinnitus, okay, you'll get um, a large listing of articles, but you go to Google Scholar where they have the worldwide medical literature, okay? It's not just the... WWW World Wide Web. It's specifically medical literature. And that's what I use to read a lot of my documents as one source, then PubMed, and then some of the other ones. So um, we've also reversed 22 cases of diabetes. We have three cases of Alzheimer's that one of them was our patient. 
two of them are not our patients. And one of them is a veteran who's talking about a 66 year old mother who went on to our TRIPAC on the Brain Rescue 3 and had a, um, in five weeks, she went from mumbling her words to being inactive, sitting on a bed all day or in a chair to speaking clearly and being functional. And then we're monitoring um, uh, a patient, not a patient, a person in uh, New York, who's 71 years of age, whose wife, Betty, is sending us monthly reports on how well he's doing. He's no longer depressed. He's now more communicative. She complains that his memory isn't like he was when he was 20, but he's 71 and he's doing well. He's happy is what she says. He's happy. He wasn't happy before. Well, you fix the neurons and you're able to do a lot more. So, you know, that's our three case. Unfortunately, our first uh, reversed uh, Alzheimer's, Paul, um, got uh, the viral infection and um, he passed. He had a lung problem. But uh, his wife, uh, Martha, went on to uh, the program. We just sent her some products and so forth. But um, it was just uh, uh, ear-provoking watching Paul when he went from being so difficult in communicating to communicating to going out and buying a, a BMW 1200 motorcycle for the church to take it away and give him a bicycle, you know. But he would go out for half an hour and come back, go out for him. But when he got sick with a lung problem a few years before he got this virus, um, he, was, uh, he, was, he was doing well. It was impressive. Well, that, that is amazing. And yeah, the, the changes that you're making in people's lives, um, and because I always, I almost feel a little bit guilty because for me, I'm like, ah, I wasn't even that bad. You know, I was, wasn't bad at all but it still completely transformed my life into being so much happier, so much healthier. What a better dad, all these different things, you know, that wouldn't have been possible. Um, one more question with you in Dr. Amen's book, the end of mental illness, which you're, mm -hmm. in, um, you know, he talks about different treatments. Uh, one treatment that I love was neurofeedback. I was able to see mm -hmm. how like my scores improved greatly. It, it really helped so much. I don't believe that would have been possible if I hadn't had my hormones regulated first. Is that fairly accurate to say? I agree with it 100 uh, percent. About, uh, let's see, 2016, I was keynote speaker for the International Society for Neurofeedback and uh, Research. And the presentation I gave them was basically based on the fact that there's a lot of uh, failure with the QEED, or you need a lot of sessions with it, and it doesn't hold. So my the presentation I did for them was basically explaining to them how important the neurosteroids are, the hormones of the brain, in order for correcting the chemistry so that when you do something like the Loretta format or the QEED on the neurofeedback, that it holds. It holds because you've got the chemistry there. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what it's about. And we've had uh, people with um, uh, psychedelics that have used psychedelics. Whether or not they went out of the country with ashwagandha or went to the reservation and got psilocybin um, for, you know, to help them reestablish, you know, their chemistry in the brain. The ones that were on our program and went and did the protocol, they did very, very well on the outcome very, very well. And they did one or two very, very well, as well as I see people or hear people who haven't had their hormones or their inflammation addressed, and they go and get it done, they find they need to do it again. 
and again and again and again, or they're microdosing for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And that just tells us that whatever chemical balance they need back in the brain to have this work, you know, reset, they're talking about resetting, it's not resetting, or else it's like ketamine. Ketamine works incredibly well for two weeks, mm -hmm. and then you need another ketamine. Well, it turns out the reason how ketamine works, it stops an inflammatory dumping of calcium into these excitatory cells, NMDA receptors. Well, it turns out that if you fix the steroids, the neurosteroids, and drop the inflammation, you don't trigger this mechanism for dumping of calcium into these cells, so you don't get the hyperness, and you get calming, okay? So... Um, you know, ketamine, short term, until you get everything going, it's a great product. It works very well. It's a disassociative, um, uh, disassociative anesthetic is mm -hmm. what it is. So, yeah, these all have it in my new lecture. Uh, I talk about, you know, HBOT. HBOT is another great uh, protocol. But if you don't have the fixing or the stabilization of the neurochemistry, these can't hold. So you saw quite explosions. The surfer on there, uh, Sean Dollar, um, you know, went through a lot of HBOT, I think 81 sessions. He did really well. And then when he stopped, he crashed. So he was referred to us and we put him onto a protocol. And two weeks later, he's up and cruising and then he crashes. And the reason why he crashed is because he jumped back to surfing too fast. His cortisol levels were so low that he had uh, cortisol uh, deficiency. And that's what caused them to crash. So we gave him natural cortisol, let him sit out for a month, and then he went back. He's doing so well, he's helping us, or he's helping two veteran uh, 5013C charitable organizations that specialize in surfing. So he goes and helps them with that. And he's doing a movie right now on his life experience um, with his TBI, his whole story. Like you did your book, he's doing a little movie on it, talking about it. Awesome. Yeah. I was going to say so, how so. good Quiet Explosions was. That uh, incredible movie. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I recommend everyone check that out. That was, right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of our uh, prerequisites for coming into the program is you watch it. Uh, Andrew Marr and his brother Adam Marr, both veterans. Uh, Andrew uh, was uh, Green Beret, EOD, Explosive Ordnance, Demolitions, blowing shit up, as he said. And his brother Adam was a um, Apache helicopter captain, pilot. And they, you know, um, retired from the military and set up the Warrior Angel Foundation as a uh, organization to try and find alternative approaches for uh, PTSD, TBI, and so forth. And Andrew and I met in the cloud um, in 2000 and early 15. And I was looking for a 5013C organization owned and operated by veterans and he was looking for an out-of-the-box doc and you know i i said something to him which i didn't remember and he sent me the email i wrote something to him and i said to him uh when i saw on his website what their plan was i sent him an email that says that i think i might have a, a solution for you but i'm not crazy is what i sent to him and he sends me back okay you're not crazy let's see so he drove up he was in San Diego with the VA. Um, he drove up from San Diego and we got him started on a protocol. Within two to three hours, he said his life started changing. So, and then he ends up um, writing the book with Adam, 
um, Tales from the Blast Factory that gets picked up by Jerry Shear, made into the documentary Quiet Explosions, and wins the you know Seattle Award, wins the Most Important Film of 2021 Award, keeps on getting awards after awards after awards, and I believe she's going to present it for the Academy Awards um, this coming year, which she deserves. Um, they did a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, job at making this movie to convey the, not about what I did or what I do, but to convey the impact on the individuals. That's really the key. Yeah. It's not about me. It's about them and how they responded. So there were, you know, people from football, from uh, gymnastics, the military, uh, just regular folk, you know, and Sean Dollar, the surfer was on there because according to his assessment by Dr. Amen, you know, he had hundreds of traumas to his brain by the little calcifications. Mm -hmm. They were surprised he was functioning. I even got the ad for it in the back of my book. Uh, yeah, no, a great movie. Um, well, thank you so much for all of this. Uh, now, I, I really appreciate everything that you're doing, everything you did for me, for everyone else. Everything is just amazing stuff. I really appreciate it. Um, if someone is looking for help, you said you have doctors in seven countries now. Uh, is is it all through your website? Can they find a doctor? Yeah, they can. They can find uh, the information on our website, which is www.pbihelpnow.org, and they can go there. And uh, lots of information under the science are articles, and they're not all written by me. They're written by more brilliant people who did the science that I used to generate the products that we have. If they want to find out about the products, they can go to um, dhpusa.com and there's information about the products and also links to go to the web store or the Shopify account and get it. And I want your people to understand that uh, I'm self-funding. I'm not a 5013C and the way we've been able to bring in uh, almost 500 veterans and active military uh, has been through the funds that are generated on this website. Uh, we brought in uh, 11 female veterans who are too destitute to afford our program. So we paid for their entrance into the program. And then uh, we just, um, you know, and this is, I got to give credit where credit's due. This is because, you know, Joe Rogan has been such a, a great supporter of uh, what we've been doing uh, since the first time I was with him, uh, what, nine years ago or eight years ago uh, when we first met. And um, he's been leading a charge on getting the information out there so that people can be aware that there is an alternative to traumatic brain or to uh, neuropsychiatric or neurobehavioral issues that don't, that do not mandate uh, going on certain medications. But those are the websites I'm educationally or academically inclined. So I lead with education before I try to offer you anything. And that's really the key. And I tell people, do their due diligence. And that's what a lot of the documents are there. You can find our uh, military um, draft of the, uh, the Marine Project, where they had almost 65% improvement in 90 days. Also, we'll be posting every year since 2019, we've been um, giving our statistics. 2019, 78% improvement in uh, of the people improved 50% or more in 12 months. 
And then in uh, 2020, because we had all three of our products, it jumped up from 78% to 85% and wow. on the products. And this year, uh, we're keeping very tight stats on uh, how people are improving or not. And right now we have uh, without time, meaning that people who just started and people who've been on the program for nine months, they're all lumped together. And our numbers on 200 and 202, 203 people is a 61.2% improvement, average improvement since the beginning of the year. And we'll, six months, we'll look at it. Uh, people who have been on it six months, people on nine months, people on three months, and look at the stats there. So cool. it's been uh, quite impressive. And to finish, one of the uh, most challenging issues uh, Andrew and I had was we were invited by the Ministry of Defense to the United Kingdom, to London, to explain to the military um, surgeon general why their top SAS uh, majors were flying into California to get assessed by us. And my simple answer was maybe they want to get better. So I had to go there and Andrew was my witness, gave my presentation on 459 people and for four hours, they attacked me or attacked what we were doing. Andrew talks about it in our last Joe Rogan, uh, number 1589, the one that we did in January. He talks in great depth about it. I don't look at the past, you know. Yeah. So just keep moving forward. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, stops that we're encountering, encountering and uphill battles that we're encountering, but I'm still moving forward. We're still moving forward. Because the benefits are outcomes like you, outcomes like Andrew, yeah. outcomes like the other 470, 80 military that we're working with. And then my daughter, Allison, has uh, about 350 civilians and professional sports people she's working with. Yeah, and, and I owe her a lot of things, too. Certain things that she said, not even necessarily the protocol, but just different things that she was talking about with, uh, like, my cannabis use and the journey, you know, health being a lifelong journey is not just taking a pill. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was, uh, yep. I'm really glad I was hooked up with her. That was perfect. Yep. All right. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate this. And, uh, yeah, I hope you have an incredible day. Thank you, sir. You take All care. Right. Okay, talk to you later. Stay well. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I know I learned a lot from it, but now it is story time. Let's go out on chapters four and five from Beyond Brightside. This is Darren Elliker. Hope you guys enjoyed. Thanks for hanging around, and I will talk to you next week. Later. Chapter four. A woman called my name told me to wake. Her hand grabbed my leg and shook. Joe, get up. We need you. My eyes opened, but everything remained black. It was hard to breathe, something covering my mouth. For a second, I was back in first grade, that man's oily blue denim sleeves smashing my lips, his hand squeezing my throat. My entire body shook. Joe, please, the woman said her hand rocking me hard. Wake up! My left hand couldn't move, but my right swiped at my face and threw off the itchy blue blanket, the gunmetal gray above. Where am I? The sweet but scared voice said, We're in the car, headed to Mexico. Fuck. 
Reality ripped off a layer of grogginess. It was Wendell's sister, Becky, leaning over the back seat in a bright orange sweatshirt. My dad? From the front seat, sounding like she was about to snap, Sarah said, Joe, what do we do? Becky filled me in with rapid-fire thoughts, told me there were twenty cars between us and the high-powered lamps at the checkpoint. Do we have a gun? I do, she said, crawling halfway into the back seat so she could help me sit up, the pain clearing the rest of the days. My head rested against the rear window, the headlights keeping away the darkness, everything too bright. I couldn't see Sarah because of her headrest, but I found her eyes in the rear view. Where's Sharon? Sarah pointed two cars up at the black Audi. Right there. What do I do? All I have is a bullshit ID that looks nothing like me. Trying to sound confident like my father, I said, They're rolling everyone through too quick to be checking licenses. If we're going to try it, you better get back down. There were nine cars between us and the checkpoint. Two boots and blue jeans and black windbreakers stood there looking tough with arms crossed, but not doing a thing. It was the guy in the middle of the cars with his colors reversed. He was waving people through, a thick silver brace wrapped around his neck, chin to chest. Oh, fuck. Look at the guy in the middle. Sarah said, he's one of us. I'd never seen a sentinel in practice, but had heard about them on the news. Becky thought about them being used at all major functions in Los Angeles. Even some celebrities had acquired thought thieves of their own to help keep them safe from closet telepaths feeding off their fears. The Audi's rear passenger door opened, and the interior lights lit up Sharon's husband behind the wheel, and their four-year-old daughter beside him. The girl threw herself over the front seat, arms stretched out, mouth wide with a piercing cry as her mother fled the car. Sharon ran for the dirt embankment, her daughter's sobs slicing through our closed windows. I never cared for Sharon and she only tolerated me because she was my shrink and wanted to use me. We were all ordered to share every thought with her, but I kept it all inside, all the bad shit you box up and forget in order to protect yourself. But even though we were not friends, I prayed Sharon would make it over the broken-down wooden fence at the bottom of the embankment and find a way back to her daughter. The cry that'll never leave me didn't even earn Sharon's daughter a double-take from either boot. They just walked after Sharon with no sense of urgency. Let her make it halfway down before they took aim and fired. The gunshots jerked Danny awake, and he screamed as Sharon did a final dance, crashing to the ground and tumbling into the fence, her face jammed in the hole where a board was missing. The boots turned back to the Audi. Sharon's husband stood beside the driver door, daughter shrieking in his arms, both with hands in the air. The boots each fired two shots, the bodies falling to the highway. Sarah sat stunned, so we shouted for her to punch it. She stomped on the gas and took us right, crushing the cones and jumping the curb to go down the embankment. The shoulder was blocked by vehicles, nothing but grass on the other side of the wooden fence. I hoped we were going fast enough and shouted, Go through it! Danny acted like we were on a roller coaster, his hands on the roof. Whoa! I had nothing to hold on to, but was wedged in tight with bags and blankets, barely moving when the station wagon punched through the fence, chunks of board flying, our windshield smashing into a million crack maze. 
Sarah kept her foot on the gas, sticking her head out the window so she could see. We were tearing through the backfield of a park and were halfway to the playground when the clunking beneath us turned into a piercing grind, and Sarah threw on the brakes. I pointed out the streetlights on the other side of the empty basketball courts and told Sarah to keep going. There didn't seem to be anyone following, but I knew helicopters couldn't be far behind. We need a car. The parking lot was empty, the neighborhood asleep, thick smoke rising from under us. There was the four-way stop to the right and the traffic light a couple of blocks down to the left. Sarah asked how we're supposed to get a car. Steal one? Becky spotted approaching headlights. She hoped it wasn't the boots. Sarah prayed it wasn't the cops. All I cared about was a vehicle. This white kid, looking straight out of college, slowed his silver four-door Sentra for the stop sign. An old lady with glasses was close behind in a cherry-red Cadillac. Sarah, block them. Sarah didn't hesitate and stepped on the gas. I hated putting the second part on Becky, but she had the gun. You gotta jack one of their cars. We flew through the intersection, and Sarah whipped the wheel hard, slid us sideways in front of the Sentra. Becky just sat there and watched the driver start yelling. I thought loud and hard to shake her awake. Becky, the boots are coming. Becky bolted out the door and aimed the gun at the guy. Stood like she knew what she was doing. The Cadillac burned rubber in reverse and sped away. Porch lights flicked on across the street. Like she was auditioning to be the sweetest carjacker in the country, Becky said, I'm so sorry, but we need your car. When the guy didn't move, she became a little more serious and said, You can take our car. Please, I don't want to hurt you. His hand came off the wheel, and I was sure he was going for a gun. So was Becky, her finger hugging the trigger. Whoa, whoa, whoa! The driver showed his hands. I'm gonna unlock the door. Becky lowered the gun. Hurry up! The back of the station wagon opened, and Danny, who looked like a bodybuilder in his tight tank top, pulled me out, the movement aggravating the deep, dull pressure throbbing through my shoulder. Becky sat the driver on the sidewalk while the neighborhood came to life, porch lights popping on, angry voices yelling. Danny stuffed us in the center's back seat with a bunch of bags. Seat belts were out of the question, but we had enough cushion to feel safe. Becky got in the passenger seat, loaded with gear. She was closing the door when some lady yelled, I'm calling the cops! Sarah asked, which way? The freeway, south. Becky told her, straight, just move! Sarah backed up, then zipped around the station wagon. Not wanting to get pulled over for something stupid, I said, don't go too fast. Becky's heart was pounding, her palms sweaty. She wanted to throw the gun out the window. I can't believe how close I came to shooting him. But you didn't. I felt sick for sticking her in the situation, for the entire thing. But there was no time for remorse with Sarah panicking about which way to go. Should I turn left at the light? Becky said, We're too close to the checkpoint. I say go farther. As a rule for all of us to remember, I said, Don't stop if you see them coming, Sarah. They're going to kill us. Danny thought that made no sense. But we're the good guys. Becky asked Sarah, Where's the phone? We need a map. Sweatshirt, right pocket. Becky got the app working, but didn't know what the single-digit number inside the bubbles that blinked about the map meant. There aren't any buttons so I can zoom in. Sarah asked, Is there anything you can press? 
Those bubbles must be the safe houses. How do I know which one to pick? I told Sarah to take a left at the light. The freeway's right there. The blinker clicked on, Sarah said. Pick the closest one. The cheery woman on the phone guided us onto the freeway. The southbound lanes nearly empty. The northbound a parking lot of red brake lights. Two helicopters thumped behind us, hovering over the checkpoint and park. Becky said, It's twelve minutes. But what about Mexico? Not in this car, Sarah said. Plus, your dad said that this makes for a good plan B. Back home plan B stood for bullshit, but I kept that to myself. Yeah, for how long? It'll give us time to think, Becky said, and plan, and eat. Mexico had been the plan. What about a boat? Sarah said. If we somehow got our hands on one, what then? I can barely keep from barfing at sea and know nothing about sailing. I settled back with the bags and closed my eyes to stop the spinning. I concentrated on my breath and focused on good thoughts. Let the morphine pull me back down. I didn't remember falling asleep, but the next thing I knew, some strange woman said, Get off the freeway in 600 feet. Becky apologized for startling me and lowered the phone's volume. Speaking nice and calm, she guided Sarah left at the light, right on a two-lane street, then another left, just past the grocery store. It looked like a decent neighborhood, with at least one SUV in each driveway, the lawns neatly trimmed. After a few turns, Becky said to slow down. It's that brown one on the left. The small one-story could barely be seen behind the giant tree. Sarah pulled over at the next house up and asked, You're sure? This is it, Becky said. And there's nothing else to press, so I guess we're supposed to go up and knock. Did Joe's dad say anything else? Sarah said, There should be a word on the screen upon arrival. Is there anything? Here it is, Becky said. Ghost. That's it. Speaking to Danny and me, Sarah said, Everyone got that? Just say ghost. Becky asked about the car and reminded Sarah that I couldn't walk. In that extra slow drawl of his, Danny said, I'll watch him. Becky assured Sarah we'd be okay. I'll go with you to dump this and we'll run right back. It was too late at night to be standing out on the sidewalk. I said, where should we wait? Someone's going to call the cops. Sarah pointed at the tree. How about under there? I can't see anything from here. We were out of options, so they left us with half the bags and drove away. Danny set the bags beside the sidewalk while I did my best not to fall over or puke. As quietly as we could, I hobbled with Danny to the safe house. It was dark under the huge oak, but only until we took another step and motion detectors lit the yard. I squinted, the light too bright for my dilated pupils. Over there, I said, directing Danny to the door. We reached the first step just as the porch light blinked on and a blue light appeared over the doorbell console. Sounding as scared as I felt, a man asked, Who's there? Before I could say anything, Danny said, Me and Joe. I elbowed Danny's side and told him to say the password, hoping he'd remember what I'd already forgotten, my mind all mushy. Danny put his mouth next to the console and whispered, The password. The guy said, off my property or I'm calling the cops. Go ahead. 
Can't wait to tell them about your involvement. He went silent, so I kept on going. Turn this light off before someone else calls it in. You'll be just as fucked as us. The light snapped off and two locks disengaged. The door opened just enough for me to see the black semi-automatic gripped by chubby little fingers. It opened a bit more to reveal the rest of the middle-aged man, his wallflowers t-shirt bulging over his baggy khaki cargo shorts. His voice cracked when he said, I'm only equipped for one, and not some... Differently abled? Danny smiled. Plus Becky and Sarah. The guy shook his head, his cheeks jiggling. What? No way. Sorry, man. It'll just be the night. He opened the door a little more so he could peek out, look up and down the street. Who saw you? No one. But if you don't let us in, someone's going to. The guy was scared, no ability to hide his thoughts. A hundred percent he didn't want to take us, but he knew I was dangerous. He stepped to the side and said, Hurry up. Down that hall. The living room had a scuffed hardwood floor and ugly furniture. In the hallway, a worn green carpet. We stopped at the last doorway, but he scooted past us and stopped in front of the painting at the end of the hall, a dark ocean with a beaming lighthouse. He turned to us, his face all serious like a substitute teacher on his first day of assignment. It was me being injured and no longer a threat. Look, once you're in here, you aren't coming out. Not until I say it's clear. He kept the gun by his side, chastising himself for not just pulling it out and tossing us. I don't know why you're running or where you're headed. I just know you can't stay. Especially with fucking four of you. I nodded, didn't say a word. Just looked him dead in the eyes, let him cook. This guy never dreamed of talking down to anyone even close to his pay grade. He'd also never been in a fight he'd won and was worrying about Danny and how strong he was. He cleared his throat. So you understand? He asked, his confidence gone. My eyes didn't leave his, were right there waiting for him each time he looked away. You swore you could be trusted, I said. Can we trust you? He said. Of course and pressed a button on the bottom of the painting. A lock clicked, and he pulled open the hidden door. He waved us into the small room that had been added on. Not much in it besides the small bed Danny helped me lay on. I told Danny I wanted to sit up and wait for the girls, but that wasn't the truth. Now that there was a small sense of safety, that we had at least a few minutes to rest, the nausea was back, worse than before. Closing my eyes and taking big breaths were the only things keeping me from retching. Danny remembered our bags were outside and went with the guy to collect them. They returned before I could pass out, Becky and Sarah not far behind them. I couldn't open my eyes, but I knew everyone was staring at me. Danny said, He's sleepy. Becky sat beside me and put a pillow under my left leg, said we needed to get some ice on it. She and Sarah worked together to prop up my shoulder. Clear as I could, with just about the most shame I've ever felt, I thought, I am so sorry. To all of you. Sarah held my face and told me to hush. Tried not to think about how warm I was. Let's all get some rest while we can. Their worlds had been entirely different twelve hours ago. None of them facing death. 
This isn't how I imagined it. Becky said, We know. We're okay. We're alive. My mind was a muddled fog of death, the darkness closing in, leaving me with nothing but bullets, destroying faces, and nearly blowing off heads. I said, For now. Night 7 Chapter 5 My concept of time is shot. With the sunlight's gone, the rumble of traffic turned down. Night 7 is now official. I feel like a piece of shit hiding in this corner, but I'm not so sure I can stand. Careful not to push the plywood wall down, I use it to rise and steady myself. Even crouched over my head's hitting the drooping tarp. The mirror stapled into the plywood is level with my shoulder. I promised myself I wouldn't look at it again. But it itches so damn bad and it's taking all I have not to scrape it clean with a knife. I set the syringe on the milk carton, put my phone beside it, flashlight on. The bandage is sticky, takes skin and pus with it as I peel it back from the wound. The raw stench worse than the nastiness floating in the bucket toilet. Now I know why everyone who's seen it makes a face that says I'm fucked. What should have healed up with antibiotics in a hospital stay has turned into the eye of Sauron, yellow pus bubbling up between the black and red, a circle of angry raised skin surrounding it, dark red lines spreading the disease through my veins. The bandage won't stay up, so I just leave it. Bend over to get my phone, but rise with the syringe. I thought I could trust myself, but I'm no longer so sure. I don't know why it comes as such a surprise to me, though, considering just seven days ago I had the shotgun under my chin thinking of joining Rachel, her half a head and my half a head completing each other. Things would have been so much better if I hadn't been such a coward and just pulled the trigger. All the things I wouldn't have seen, wouldn't have known, wouldn't have felt. All the sickness, all the suffering, fearing for our lives every second. What I couldn't do then, I would do now if I didn't have any responsibility. But maybe the most responsible thing would be sticking the needle in my neck and plunging it all the way down. But I've got to look myself in the eyes before I do what half the world wants me to. My eyes are cold, no shine. Can't ever go back from what they've seen. What the boots have done. What we've done. So much death. All I wanted was freedom. Just didn't think this was the way I'd get it. Twenty-eight years old with nothing to show for it except a name people will forever despise. I used to hear my dad telling me to pull the trigger, but that voice was all wrong. Now he's screaming at me to be a soldier, fulfill my mission, until the end. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.